Hi, good evening, everybody. It is the 13th. Oh, my God. Is it Friday the 13th? Oh, my heavens. Yeah, Friday the 13th. That's why we had a tech issue. Uh, I was just noticing that uh, shiny nose, spotty forehead. Do you guys have makeup-obsessed people in your life? Like the women who literally say, I can't go out without putting my face on? I had a, I worked with a woman when I was gold pan and prospector. And you're feeling Molly Amorous. <laughs> Very nice. Let's get it on. But I worked with a woman who... We couldn't even go into town to pick up groceries without her spending an hour on her makeup. It's like, we're just going into a two-bit town called Nakina to pick up our groceries for the week. I really don't think that you need all that makeup, but hey, who am I to say? Yeah, uh, feel free to bring, bring in your questions and your comments. I'm happy to hear them. And what I'm going to do is talk about the Twitter. Talk about the Twitter. Now, I would like you, please, if you would be so very kind, I would like you to tell me what percentage of Twitter users do you think are bots or spam or bought or just not genuine, biped, carbon-based, authentic, logged-in, curious, typing, questioning people? What percentage of Twitter users do you think are real? And uh, let me just come back here and check what you've got to say. Wait, so 40, you think 40% are real and 60% are fake? Is that the story? You say 30, because this is the, so if, okay, should we, I, I don't know what you guys are going, whether I made this clear or not. What percentage, okay, let's, let's say this. What percentage do you think are fake? So people saying 15% fake, I assume 30. You think 45%? See, it's not just bots, right? It's not just bots. It's also, um, you know, they've got these places in China and India and so on where they have walls of phones. Uh, maybe tablets, I guess phones for space. They have walls of cheap phones and there's people just walking all over the place pretending to interact with social media. This is where you can buy a bunch of stuff and they're, you know, they're, posting stuff, they're liking stuff, they're moving over, and because it's somewhat randomized, somewhat human, and you, you can see people walking up and down these big, you know, like these Chinese typewriters they used to have with this kanji all over the wall. So they've, they've got all of these users who are out there cooking away on this kind of stuff. So your percentages of bots. Okay, so we've got 40%, 30%, 15%, 45%, 30 40 Now, do you know what Twitter, what Twitter claims is the percentage. Hit me if you know what Twitter has claimed is the percentage. Yeah, this is right. There's 5%. Now, <laughs> when, when did Twitter first come up with this number, 5%? When did Twitter first claim that it was 5%? Somebody guesses 2010. So my understanding is that they first came up with this number of 5% in 2015. So this just came out today. Uh, Elon Musk has said his $44 billion US dollar deal to buy Twitter is on hold after he queried the number of fake or spam accounts on the social media platform. He said he was waiting for information, quote, supporting the calculation that spam or fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. Musk added later he was still committed to the acquisition. However, analysts speculated he could be seeking to renegotiate the price or even walk away from the takeover. Mr. Musk's tweet 
tweets sent Twitter share price plunging 10% in morning trade in New York. So even before his comments, the company's stock had been selling for less than uh, 54.20 per share. Musk had offered a sign that the markets were not convinced he would complete the buyout. Dan Ives, a tech analyst at investment firm Wedbush Security, said Mr. Musk's comments would, quote, send this Twitter circus show into a Friday the 13th horror show. Many will view this as Musk using the Twitter filing slash spam accounts as a way to get out of this deal in a vastly changing market. Of course, you know, crypto's down, S&P is down, um, real estate looks like it's heading for a cliff, and uh, NASDAQ is down and all that, right? So he said, the nature of Musk creating so much uncertainty in a tweet and not a filing is very troubling to us, and now sends this whole deal into a circus show with many questions and no concrete answers as to the path of this deal going forward. Mr. Musk has been vocal about defeating the spam bots, identifying it as a key goal following his planned takeover of the company. Twitter has long faced accusations of not doing enough to address automated fake accounts posting content. In a filing more than two weeks ago, Twitter estimated that fake accounts accounted for fewer than 5% of its daily active users during the first three months of this year. It cautioned that the figures were based on estimates and could be higher. Those claims were not different from what the firm had shared in previous disclosures. The number of spam bots on the service is a key statistic, as a higher-than-expected figure could hurt the ability to grow advertising revenue or paid-for subscriptions. So, yeah. That is, um, yeah, so Twitter, of course, says less than 5% of its active users are fake, and the question is, how did they come up with that number? And what does it mean? That is a, uh, a big question. It's a big question, right? So I'll tell you what I think is interesting about all of this and putting on my old entrepreneurial head here, as you may or may not know, I was in the software field for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years as an entrepreneur. Well, originally as a programmer, then as an entrepreneur, then a chief technical officer, and then a director of technology, and then a director of marketing. So, you know, I've had a a pretty broad exposure. I did, went out and did a lot of sales presentations and so on, negotiations. So I've got a fairly wide view of the software space. Now, it's been a while, So, and it's not a Twitter space. It was not a social media company. It was environmental management software to help minimize emissions and so on. That's why all these people who were like, you know, I really care about the environment. It's like, dude, I spent 15 years making sure that companies polluted as little as humanly possible with software. What have you done? No, no, I like to talk about it. Talking is my business plan. It is my action plan. So it's really, really important. And when I was on Twitter, my daughter and I used to play this game, right? Sometimes. <laughs> what we do is we look at one of my tweets. You know, an, an average tweet. You know, it might get, I don't know, a couple of thousand likes, a couple of thousand retweets and so on, right? With my, I think I maxed... Well, I mean, I would have been much higher, but I think I topped out at about 450,000 followers on Twitter before getting uh, nuked, I guess, close to two years ago. Now, if you miss my Twitter, I'm, I'm still posting stuff on, on other social media platforms, so you can go to freedomain.com forward slash connect to check those out. But we would look at my number of users and the engagement that I got on an average tweet. Now, I'm not talking about the thermonuclear tweets like uh, the one on Taylor Swift and hoping she'll have kids soon because she thinks she'd be a fun mom, which uh, actually has its own meme entry because so many people freaked out about basic biological facts about 
90% of a woman's eggs are dead and gone by the time she's 30. And of course, what it did was it freaked out a lot of the women who were living for their fun 20s, fun 20s, like fun Bobby, before settling down, which means settling. Couldn't bang my way into marrying an alpha, so I guess I'll put up with you until I can take you to divorce court. So my daughter and I would sit down and I'd say, okay, let's look at me. 450,000 followers, right? Now, I never paid for a follower. I didn't even know you could for a long time. So 450,000 followers. Let's look at the engagement on just, you know, just one of my tweets, just an average tweet, right? And then let's go over to CNN. Let's go over to the New York Times. Let go over, let's go over to NBC or ABC or NPR, right? NPR has like, what, 3 million followers and they're lucky to get 300 likes? Like, come on. This not it's not humanly possible. I guess it's inhumanly possible, i.e. bot-like possible. And we would do this. I'd say, okay, what else? What other? What else are big media? And we go, oh, some other big media outlet. Oh, look, they just, the BBC, they just put out a tweet and it's pretty important. And I don't know how many people the BBC has, but they would just get, you know, 50, 175 likes or retweets or whatever. And it's like, oof. So this is all opinion, of course, because I have no hard data. Wait, do I have any thoughts on the Terra Luna collapse? I'm a little depressed. I lost about 10% of my crypto portfolio in a day on it. I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry about that. That's, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, for me, Bitcoin is the only real crypto. Now, I know Bitcoin's taken a beating, but you've got to remember, of course, that, you know, there's a lot of people who are pretty leveraged. And Bitcoin is part of the assets that they consider as part of their way of funding their portfolio. So if they're all in on strongs or stocks or something like that, and then the market takes a nosedive, they've got to cover those positions, right? They lose a lot of money, they've got to cover those positions. And the pos what they've lost may be a lot more than the money they have there because they've probably leveraged, right? So when you lose a bunch of money on stocks, you may have to sell a bunch of crypto to cover your losses on stocks. And that means that the crypto is also going to go down. It can be a bit of a death spiral, but remember, it's not all just about the crypto thing, when there's a, a uh, you know, we're all in the same kind of economic boat to some degree, and there's no way that one hole on one end isn't going to affect the boat on the other, right? So there's a lot of uh, panic selling. And, you know, as usually happens in the market, I can't predict, obviously, what can go on with the markets. But I can tell you that historically, there's a big crash. Uh, and the, the crash is largely engineered. And the crash is engineered by people who want to buy cheap. Right, so they'll sell a bunch of stuff. Uh, they'll create. Uh, they'll get their friends of the media to create a lot, lot of negative press. I have no evidence for any of this. It's just my opinion about what happens, of course. Right, so they get friends of the media to create a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and uh, people will just panic sell. And also because they're worried about, like they see the value of their stocks go down, and then they want cash or they want to cover that that position or whatever. So they'll just sell a bunch of stuff. And the more fear uncertainty, it tends to snowball and so on. And, you know, for those of us who lived through, you know, Bitcoin from 20,000 to 3,000, you know, Bitcoin going down 50% or whatever, that's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. So uh, I would say uh, uh, all of that. So no, no, in, in the crypto roundtables, I've always said Bitcoin is the thing for me. Bitcoin is, is the one for me. I've always said that. Do you think the Fed will win the war against inflation? <laughs> oh my God. That's like asking Chunk Yoga to win the war against popsicles. That's just, well, I guess he'll win, but everyone will lose. No, the Fed's not going to win the war against inflation. 
my God, they just want to send $40 billion unaudited, right? What did Rand Paul say? Can we audit this? Oh, okay, well, no, apparently that's horrible, right? Uh, have I watched the film 2,000 Mules? Uh, I have watched it, and I think it's interesting, and I think it's worth having a look at. Uh, so, yeah, people need some cash right now. Uh, a, a lot of high flyers have highfalutin and high-flying bills, right? And so they also have to fund their lifestyle. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever traded on margin. I would never do it in a million years, but I don't know if you've ever traded on margin. But certainly in the 0708 financial crisis, there were some pretty major institutions that were borrowing 30 to 1 margin, right? 30 to 1, which means something goes down 3% and you're virtually wiped out, right? So I would say, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I know some, some sort of people are upset with me about what's happening with Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, you got to talk to the people who voted for Biden. <laughs> Why you'd get mad at me? Uh, I mean... One of the reasons, I think, why a lot of people supported Trump back in the day was you weren't going to get, like, Trump wasn't going to start a war, and he didn't, right? So you had four years without war, and then, you know, very quickly within the Biden getting in, which is, would have been the case with Hillary, you get a bunch of wars and inflation. and Although, you know, to be fair, uh, Trump passed more um, limitations on, on the um, Second Amendment than anyone since Reagan and borrowed and spent money like crazy. But, uh, yeah, so we're back to war and, and all of that. So, Do you think there's any possibility Alaska ever breaks up with the U.S. and becomes its own country? Well, you know, never say never, but if you want to know what happens if regions of the U.S. want to pull away from the federal government, you might want to check out my video, The Truth About Abraham Lincoln, and all of that. So. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, $40 billion in arms. And, and of course, no one's declared war, right? No one's declared war. I mean, that's kind of expected, right? But the U.S. has only declared three wars since 1914 and has been in wars pretty much the whole time. So, anyway, I don't want to get dragged into politics because it's all very, very, very boring. Very boring stuff. But I uh, remember when they said $5 billion was way too much to pay for a wall on the southern border. Does NATO want peace between Russia and Ukraine? I don't think so. No, I think NATO is going to continue to push up against Russia until they can provoke a war. Because if someone says, you step over this line and there's a war, and you don't have to step over the line, and then you step over that line, who's responsible for the war? Right? If, if someone says, you know, basically put a foot on my property, and, you know, I'm going to push you off, and then you put your foot on their property and they push you off, who caused it, right? Who's, who caused it? So, yeah, it's, uh, has anyone ever compared you to Kelsey Grammer? He studies Shakespeare, too, and is very intellectual. Ooh, that reminds me. Oh, my gosh. So important. I'll get back to Twitter in a sec. But uh, it's a live stream, so let's get your thoughts. So don't forget, the freedomain.locals.com, this is where the live stream is happening. But, if again, a couple of bucks a month. And I will release the book at some point, but this is my book on peaceful parenting and, and the world and the future and, and how we get there. And its book is called The Future, and it's available right here on this platform, or if you're watching this later, at freedomain.locals.com. You can sign up for a couple of bucks a month. 
you get 12 months for the price of 10. Sorry for that little burp. And you get access to my new book, uh, which I'm reading a chapter a day in audiobook. I think we're up to seven, well, more than seven chapters, but I think it's almost seven hours of, of audiobook. And uh, it's the first book of this kind I've written in about 20 years. And um, I'm enormously happy with it, enormously pleased with it. And people seem to be People seem to be fine. The future has exquisite descriptive language. Cranking up that analogy brain that fires off in the live streams, but when I have more time and patience to craft them, uh, it's even better. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. So yeah, freedomain.locals.com and you can, a couple of bucks, you get access. And if you have a podcatcher, you can actually just get the audiobook in any podcast application. The feed for the audiobook is there. What was the inspiration for the future? Uh, it's a story idea I had about 15 years ago. Where, when you worked in running a software company, to what extent would you say the state inhibited you from running and growing the company to its full potential? It was 50-50 because we were helping companies deal with regulations, so part of the driver for the business model was the state, but there were lots of limitations on growth as well. So. Social credit system beta testing in China is a template for the anarcho-society. What do you think? No. No, because what the government is going to do is use it to control the citizenry, and there's no limitation because there's no competition. And so what's happening with the social credit system, I mean, that's coming all over, right, for the most part, uh, that, that's not at all how things would happen in a free society. It's going to be used to control people and to punish wrong things. Right? Like over in Europe, they're passing laws to allow the governments to say to social media companies, yeah, the speech is legal, but we don't like it. It's kind of offensive, so you've got to get rid of it. So that's uh, the hint. So let's get back to Twitter. Let's get back to Twitter. And, and I do want to do the AMA, and I'm happy to see the questions keep coming in. But so with Twitter, jeez, <laughs> butterfingers, oh, what? With Twitter, it's going to have a big ripple effect. So again, I have no proof for any of this. It's just speculation, no inside information whatsoever, but it's just my speculation. So it's my belief that the number of non-organic accounts in Twitter is enormous. I think it's enormous. Now, let's say that you are company ABC. No, there is a company ABC. <laughs> Let's say that your company XY Pie. I'm pretty sure there's no XY Pie. Oh man, now I want some pie. Focus, squirrel. So let's say your company XY Pie, and you have you you go and you say, look at look at the growth and interest in our company. XY Pie, we we've doubled our social media followers this over this last year, right? Now let's say you say, oh, we got a million followers on Twitter, and let's say that it turns out that you bought a lot of those followers. And let's say you awarded yourself bonuses and stock options and your stock price if you're public, or I guess even private, but if, you, if you're public, your stock price goes up in part because you've gathered all this new social media attention, right? So that's considered to be a good thing, right? So... If it turns out, and this could come through the examination that Elon Musk is going to go through, now whether the results of that examination are going to go public or not, certainly if he 
is, I mean, if I were in his shoes and I were negotiating to purchase Twitter and I found out that considerably more than 5% of the users were not organic, I would use that to attempt to drive down the price of Twitter. And I would go public with that information to make sure that no other people outbid me because I'd say, look, this is fundamentally broken. Now, obviously, if there are clear metrics that non-organic Twitter users are higher than Twitter claims, that to me would be just a personal opinion. Again, nothing legal here, just my personal opinion, that would be a kind of fraud, right? If, if you had really sketchy metrics for establishing less than 5% of non-organic users, and it turned out that it was pretty easy to get a methodology to figure out how many were real, then to me, that would be somewhat fraudulent, and that would be pretty important for Twitter as a whole. But the ripple effect, people aren't really talking about the ripple effect to all these companies. So go back to XYPy, let's say they got a million followers. It turns out they, they bought half those followers. They're not organic, right? Okay, isn't that a kind of fraud as well? Again, not speaking in the legal sense, but just from a moral sense, isn't that a kind of fraud? When you say, oh, look, we've doubled our social media presence, that means our marketing is working, our advertising is working, brand recognition is growing, and then it turns out that a bunch of those were not organic. And it turns out that the management bought a bunch of users and then claimed that it was organic. What does that do? What does that do to the shareholders' perception of the honesty of the senior management, like the CXO board or whatever, right? What does that do? Well, I think it does something quite interesting which to me, it is potential grounds for a vote of non-confidence, maybe even for some sort of lawsuits. Again, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me that if brand recognition is considered to be higher at this XYPi company, and it turns out that XYPi company has been paying for users, then it's not organic. And if you make the claim that something is organic, growth of interest in the company based upon Twitter user base, and it turns out it's not organic, that seems pretty bad. That seems pretty bad. And the company will be punished in some way. It could just be by share price. Uh, it could by be, be by votes of non-confidence. It could be by uh, shareholder revolts. It could be by shareholder lawsuits. Like, hey, you, you claimed that this growth in user base was organic. It turns out you bought them. That's not, you know, that's... Uh, it's like bringing a hooker to a prom and saying, she my girlfriend, <laughs> right? I don't know what accent that is, but you know, whatever, right? So that's going to be a significant, it's a ripple effect throughout the whole economy. I think there's going to be a lot of places, because again, it just doesn't make any sense. When I look at enormous millions and millions of followers and only a few hundred likes, it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, you follow people because you like them, right? So what's the story? What's going on? It's also going to raise the profile of other um, social media platforms, right? Truth Social, Gab, Minds, uh, MeWe, uh, Bastion, like lots of different places that are very interesting. And very. I, I find that the blockchain-based ones are also the most interesting in many ways. But it's going to raise their profile too because they're going to be able to say, well, look, our, we don't have bought backdoors for, <laughs> worst porn movie ever, we don't have bought backdoors for fake users. So our users are organic because also because not, people aren't that interested in, in faking it. And of course, if people think they're writing for a big audience and it turns out they're writing for a sizable audience of people who aren't even there, 
you know, fakes and, you know, you, you look out at the audience, hey, we got a full house, but half of them are mannequins and a third of them are crash test dummies, and there's a few people there to tidy up those. So I think that's very interesting. And what happens, what happens to Twitter, say, if people have been paying advertising rates, and I remember when I was on Twitter, and I don't know if you're still on Twitter, but if you are, you scroll through the ads, it's basically just boobs and cleavage. I mean, it's all you see. I don't think that's just for me, but it's less like inappropriate prom dresses and the boob nami, like the spilling over the boobs or inappropriate wedding dresses, boob nami. And it's just like boobs, 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 boobs. <laughs> so classy. So what's going to happen to people whose advertising dollar was based upon a certain number of people being organic on the site because bots don't buy and those big cell phone farms in China, India and other places, those people aren't buying anything. So what happens to people's advertising spend, will there have to be refunds, right? There's a lot that could go on. Now, if porn is allowed on Twitter, I've never seen it, but um, somebody says, when I was 13, I used Twitter to look at new girls. Porn is allowed on Twitter? That's wild to me. That's absolutely wild to me that uh, that would be the case. Ideologically, I suppose it makes sense, but just from a decent humanity standpoint... Uh, porn is allowed on Twitter, but you have to sign in to see it now. Really, you haven't noticed? No. I, I'm Honestly, my, my Twitter is basically just me and a couple other people. I could follow my stuff and a couple other people. Right? But uh, Twitter did get into a lot of trouble. I don't know if you heard this story, but it's worth mentioning, I think. Um, I want to make sure I get the facts right, so let me just... Um, oh yeah, so there's a, there's a lawsuit that says that Twitter profited from child beep, refused to take it down until the feds got involved, and you can just look at this uh, yourself, but it's uh, completely appalling and, and awful, absolutely, absolutely vile. Absolutely vile. So the Twitter thing, I think, is going to have some pretty massive effects rolling forward on the economy as a whole. Now, I will tell you this, though. So the hard leftists, like the woke people or whatever, right? the hard leftists in a company... It's like everything for the revolution. They don't care about profitability. In fact, they're quite hostile towards profitability. And you could see this with Disney's ridiculous poking at Governor DeSantis stuff with, um, well, the recent issues around the what, what was referred to as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which didn't actually say that um, in, in the bill. But, you know, how much did they lose billions of market cap based on this? So the people who were in these companies don't care about the value of the company, in my opinion, they're just there to you know push the revolution, push the social agenda, push the socialist agenda, push the inclusiveness agenda, the diversity agenda, although they have no diversity, no diversity at all. Anybody who complains about diversity say, okay, well, how many Republicans have you hired this week? <gasps> Republicans, we don't let them in here. So it's all about diversity except for half the population, give or take, right? So, yeah, just people don't care about diversity. It's uniformity of political beliefs just seems to be the entire deal going forward. So... 
if I were, again, I always try and put myself in the shoes of other people, right? I mean, I'm writing a genuinely evil person in my, um, in my latest book and really try to get myself into that mindset. It's uh, important to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. To entertain ideas without believing them is foundational intelligence test. So if I were, again, we don't have to worry about Twitter because I don't know anything about the internals of Twitter, but let's say we can go back to company XYPi, right? So company XYPi is facing a buyout. Now, you know what? No, I have to talk about Twitter because it's a bit more specific to that. So let's, let's just stay with that. And again, no proof, no knowledge, just my particular theory. So my particular theory would be if I were a woke employee in Twitter, I would be tempted to exaggerate the number of bots on the platform, right? Because they don't care about profitability. They don't care about sustainability of the company. They don't care about shareholders, in my opinion. They don't care about the users. They care about advancing the goals of the revolution. Now, advancing the goals of the revolution requires control over the speech on Twitter. And if Elon Musk is committed to free speech, which he seems to be, whatever his World Economic Forum flaws may be, seems to be devoted to free speech. It's a positive thing. So you wouldn't want to give up free speech to Elon Musk because free speech is not pursuing the goals of the revolution, which requires a tight control over narrative and making people feel isolated by having rational thoughts by preventing other rational thoughts from entering their vicinity because isolated enemies are easy to cut down, right? You, you can break one stick, you can't break a whole bundle of sticks, right? So if I were a woke employee with authority in Twitter, no knowledge, just my theory, then what I would do is I would say, oh my gosh, it turns out that, you know, based upon metrics that we've revisited and so on, like 20, 25%, even if it's true or not, 20, 25% of the users are not organic. In other words, not real users. And why would I do that? I would do that to scuttle the deal that Elon Musk was proposing by lowering the value of the company and then refusing to take a lower offer. And that way you fend off Elon Musk and get to re retain control over the uh, corporation and therefore control over the biggest public platform in the world, pretty much, at the moment. So I would say that you got to watch out for something like that. That's, again, if, if I were in their shoes, that's the move that I would wake, make. I would kill the value of the company by changing the metrics to include a much larger. Now, again, that's a problem because does it look, you'd have to find some way to transition from 5% to whatever without threatening the legitimacy of the existing management structure. But if there was a way that you could leak or get it out or anonymously raise the suspicion that the number of non-organic users was much higher than 5%, then you would lower the value of the company, which would potentially scotch the deal that was going on with Elon Musk. So that's my particularly. Uh, my particular approach, and I think that's something that, oh, let's see here, uh, in regards to the Twitter deal, quote, in order to close, the deal must also receive shareholder and regulatory approval and satisfy other customary closing conditions. Well, well, shareholder approval is going to be pretty clear if the share price continues to tank and the Twitter stuff is, is like Elon Musk's offer is higher. Regulatory approval Hmm, you know, just buying a company, there's not that much regulatory approval. I mean, they can't claim that it's a monopoly because the existing people are not subject to any antitrust legislation. I mean, they will, I think they already have open investigations into Elon Musk or whatever, right? But 
uh, there's not, I mean, I don't think the SEC can do much about it because it's just buying a company, which is, you know, fairly standard. I mean, this is obviously a bigger deal than a lot, but it's just, it's just buying a company, right? So if you're buying a company, there's not much that the government can do uh, about it, right? I mean, I guess maybe they could say it's some kind of, um, maybe they could put it under some sort of homeland security thing or something like that. So we'll see. Uh, do you think a successful purchase will cause the left to try to ruin Twitter to the point nobody uses it anymore? And if so, how do you think they will go about this? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Of course they will. If if there's a free speech platform, then the leftists go in and try to wreck it. And look, some extreme rightists as well, you know, the whatever, like the, the ideologically driven non-empirical people who can't debate, right? One of the greatest tragedies of the modern world is we've invited a whole bunch of people with hooks for hands in to do surgery, Right, we have expanded the number of people who are educated far beyond their intelligence, and now we have a whole bunch of people in the public sphere who think they can think and can't, and all they can do is be programmed. This is useful idiots for propaganda, and so they come in and they feel like the king of the world until they encounter someone who actually can think. Right, who actually can think who reasons from first principles, who's really good at debating. I mean, I put myself, obviously, in that category. And so there's this deep shock. You know, we all have this, right? We all have this deep shock. Like, I remember being in a karaoke contest years ago, and I did my, uh, I do a, a decent-ish version of um, Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers, not in the original key. I take it down a bit because I'm a baritone, not a tenor. And I was doing okay. I was doing okay. Not bad. You know, we got, uh, got some good applause and all of that. And then the next guy came along who did Unchained Melody that very same night, and he just had the voice of a choir boy, angel of the gods, and it was just like, okay, well, I think I've hit my limitation, and good luck to you, sir, because <laughs> you're Paul potting your way, or you're Chris potting your way through to the end, right? So you, you see that a lot, and I was you know, very much the best actor in my university, always cast in the lead by directors. I go to the National Theatre School, and I'm just middle of the pack, right? There are other actors better than me who've had better careers, not that I had much of a career as an actor. I bailed into academics. Also, the acting was way too lefty for me. Sorry, crazy dry lips. So if you've had this situation where you, you run into your significant limitations, where you realize, hey, it might just be a big fish in a little pond, right? I remember um, I, I put up a guy who was thinking of coming to the theater school and came up for auditions. I put him up at my place uh, for a couple of days so he could do his audition and, and talk to the faculty. And he was singing, um, softly, deftly, music shall surround you. And he, the, the Phantom of the Opera and stuff. And... Uh, I could never hit that note. Uh, let your soul take you where you long to be. I, I could do it. Madly falsetto. I couldn't do it. And he was just, he was just, oh yeah, try it like this. And he just, oh, like put the the words out like like an angel crying out of his mouth. And it's just like, oh, yeah, just just do it like that, right? Like like I, I can't, I can't do it like that. I can't. You know, it's just like somebody sitting down who's really, really fantastic at piano, although singing is more of an organic thing, and just saying, oh, just play it like this, you know, some Billy Joel on cocaine thing. And so, yeah, you, you hit this limitation and you realize where you stand in the pecking order, right? We all do this when we're dating. We start at the top and work our way down until someone will have us and all of that. And in the modern world, you know, really tragically, there's a lot of people who genuinely believe that they can think and genuinely believe that they can debate. And... Because they're stupid, genuinely stupid, 
like not even just not smart, like genuinely stupid. They own the only fallback position they have is aggression, is rage, violence, violence. That's it, right? Can't argue back. Therefore, violence. Right now, the violence could be you know direct bomb threats and death threats, like sort of I had when I was out there speaking. The violence could be you know trying to shut you down or get you kicked off platforms or whatever, right? And violence or aggression or deplatforming is simply when people are running up against their limitations and they can't handle it. And of course, the other thing too is that if you give people ideology, you give them the excuse to be the bad guys while genuinely believing that they're the good guys, right? So the way that people would harm Twitter, they would wait and get everything together. And then the moment that Elon Musk turned on the free speech, or rather turned off the shadow banning and turned off the deplatforming and the suppression of tweets that I believe is fairly well established, I think, through the Project Veritas stuff. So they would wait until the day that Elon Musk says, okay, it's now free speech time. And what they would do is they would then, you know, copy pasta the most appalling, horrible, no, racist, anti-Semitic, just vile, horrible, like make your skin crawl and jump back and wash your eyeballs with something uh, <laughs> caustic, you know, my eyes, right? So they would simply launch an all out, you know, what I call vile speech. It's not the same as hate speech, which is just a made up thing. A speech you hate is not hate speech, but just vile speech, like speech that anyone would look at and say, oh, God, that turns my stomach. And so they would simply unleash an absolute torrent of this. And they would say, oh, you see what happens? You see what happens when you get free speech? You get all of this vile speech. And, you know, this is what Twitter was trying to hold back. And clearly we need to put back the old. These are the very people we were trying to suppress. You see, we've got to put back the old gatekeepers. We kind of have this unregulated, you know, filth flowing across the Internet. And, you know, so that's very predictable that what they will do is is pour as much vitriol and, and hatred into the side as possible and then say, well, see, this is what happens the moment that you lift all of these rational controls that were there to keep things civilized, right? So, yeah, that's, um, that's fairly predictable. So. Uh, so, Steph, we love you. My wife and I always listen to you. Well, I hope in the bedroom too because it might help you make a smarter baby. <laughs> Not true at all. Uh, let's see. How do these people graduate? Is it that easy? Well, of course, a lot of them don't, right? A lot of them don't. I mean, I think it's pretty bad in, in a lot of schools where they take people they basically know can't graduate, but they'll still take their money. What is it? 40% of people who start university don't even complete it, but they get all the debt. All right, let's see here. What else have we got here? Heard my neighbors who consume a ton of media saying that Bitcoin is going to zero. I always take that as my cue to buy, <laughs> buy a bunch more. Well, it ain't perfect, of course, but it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be perfect for you. And you got to have some, I mean, you got to have some place to go to maintain your value in the tsunami of fiat currency that's been coming in ever since COVID, right? Ever since COVID, there's just been this tsunami of cash that's being printed and created. So, you know, because 
the southern border in the U.S. is not only open, but invited. You've got, what, a million or a million plus people being shipped into the interior of the U.S. They need houses, they need a place to stay. So that's all booing up and pushing up the housing prices. Right now, I think in Toronto, Canada, you need a household income of close to a quarter million dollars just to be able to afford your average house. And you need a quarter million dollar down payment. Good luck gathering that after taxes. So you, so I think people are still rushing to real estate and so on. But if, if and when, and I think this will happen when real estate, like if the economy tanks, you're going to get fewer immigrants. And if there's any threat to government checks, you're going to get fewer immigrants or migrants or whatever you want to call them. And I think that the housing prices are completely unsustainable. So you're going to need a place to keep your value. Cash, when you're running it, at least 8.5% inflation in the U.S. I think it's much higher, of course, right? Just go to the grocery store. It's pretty obvious. So if you have that amount of inflation, how are you going to protect your money? How? How How are you going to protect your money? You've got 10% inflation, 8% inflation. You're losing a month of wages every year just to inflation, not even taxes, or just to inflation. And you're going to have to put it somewhere to try and store its value. So, Do you think there is any cure for those people who can't think? I see it every place. About to graduate from university, and it's easily 8 in 10 people at least. Okay, so this is the virtue called humility. Right, the virtue called humility is, and it's back to Socrates, right, who I increasingly think is much more of a jerk than I used to think. But anyway, we'll get to that another time. So how do you know what you know? How do you know? How do you know what virtue is? How do you know what the good is? How do you know... If you're right, how do you know if you're moral? It's a fundamental question. It requires an enormous amount of humility, and you have to rewire almost like if we're kind of tribal, which means that we just repeat back the slogans that were yelled at us when we're kids in order to be able to reproduce, because women won't reproduce with us if we're social outcasts, because women tend to be even more tribal than men, which is why it's so dangerous when they get the outgroup preferences is happening these days more and more. But you have to have the humility to say, I don't know. You have to base your identity on hard questions rather than easy answers. That's a tough thing for people to do. For most people, it feels like literally jumping out of a plane, hoping you're going to land in a deep lake or on hay bales on a slope or something like that and come out and walk away and dust yourself off. Some Tom Cruise action movie nonsense, right? So to base your identity on hard questions rather than easy answers is very tough because easy answers make you feel smart. They make you feel smart. They're like steroids that break your bones and joints, right? They make, it makes you feel smart to think, oh, wow, there's all these disparities between various groups in societies. And the more of a meritocracy there is, the more there's disparities. I wonder why that is. That's a hard question. The easy answer is, Say sexism, racism, homophobia, whatever you want to call it, right? That's just the easy, it's prejudice. It makes you feel smart. It makes you feel like you've answered the question. Also gives you permission to hate people and in, to support or enact violence against them or at least tacitly approve it by ignoring it. So something which makes you feel smart and gives you permission to hate that's a pretty heady drug. And when you base your entire sense of self-esteem and value and virtue and being a good person and being a nice person on parroting the propaganda you've been 
given, when you base your personality on easy answers rather than hard questions, your whole social circle, maybe the person you married, the way you raised your kids, your work environment, everything just reinforces that. And then the, the more you get into it, it's like quicksand. Every time you struggle almost, you go in deeper. And then by the time people are uh, late 20s, early 30s, certainly by the time they've made their major life decisions, you know, the odds of them getting out of it are uh, virtually zero, right? So, uh, is there a cure? Well, the cure is philosophy. But philosophy requires the first virtue of humility, which is to ask how you know what you know. That's the fundamental question of philosophy, right? And if you're not willing to ask those questions or entertain any doubt, then in the past you wouldn't have been fit for intellectual pursuits. Because the first thing that a good teacher does is break you down. The first thing that a good teacher does is break you down. You know, I remember seeing some Dr. Phil years ago. There was this pianist who did all of these amazing ripple up and down chords and right, and he's just flying all over the keyboard and all that. It sounded like some waterfall cascade of flight of the bumblebee cocaine trail. And was it Quincy Jones or some record producer was on there and he's like, hey man, that's, you know, it's good that you could do all of that, but that's not really music. Music is like a tune. Music is like a melody. And you should be able to play that melody with one finger and have everyone go, wow, that's a beautiful melody. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty melody. And you got to be broken down. You know, when I went to theater school, you know, we all came in as like the big eight best actors of our environment. They just broke us down. Just broke us down. No, oh, what you're doing is not good. Oh, that was totally fake. Oh, that was nonsense. Particularly, we had this acting teacher from New York. We, we, we were very enthusiastic when she first came. Ooh, I'd love to come up and do improv. And she was just, just brutal on us. Just like, and, and within like a week, everyone's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go up. <laughs> no, I don't want to go up, right? You, you got to get broken down. You got to get broken right down. And, and you wouldn't in a sane educational system but because we're taught so much nonsense and dangerous nonsense you have to get broken down how many people want to go through that process of getting broken down right that uh it's seen from was it full metal jacket with the uh drill sergeant right you want to get you want to get broken down to be built back up again most people don't and it's hard it's a hard process don't get me wrong right what is our role as individuals who seek to spread philosophy and morals to the individuals around us, sometimes no choice to be around, who seem to be unable to exhibit any critical thought? I, I, I've learned. I've learned and changed this over the years. I won't necessarily say my primary influences or events, because that's not so important, but I you don't, don't care about people more than they care about themselves. Just don't do it. That's my very strong advice. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That would be sort of pointless, right? And not, the, not my job. My very strong advice is evaluate the people around you. Do not care about people more than they care about themselves. Do not care about people's children more than their parents care about them. Because then you're just a marionette to be dragged around by whatever manipulative crap is floating around in the ether at the moment. Do not care about people more than they care about themselves. If people believed the media about Biden and Trump and all this, that, and the other, and it's like, okay, well, 
you know, we're in the phase now, as I said in the last live stream, it's time to, people have to learn from consequences. They're clearly not going to learn from reason. I think that's fairly clear. So they're just going to have to learn from consequences. So you say what your predictions are, you say how things are going to go. And when they go the way that you say, and people are really upset, it's like, you know, it, it's the grasshopper and the ant thing, right? So the grasshopper and the ant, I'm sure you know the story, so I'll keep it brief. But the ant is working all summer getting food for the winter and the grasshopper is just lazing around and chasing female grasshoppers and learning to play guitar and just hopping around and having a grand old time and a ball and eating whatever's there. And then winter comes and the ant has enough food and the grasshopper doesn't. Now, the story is that the ant invites the grasshopper in. Now, of course, given the size disparity, the ant will probably be eaten after the food of the ant is eaten by the grasshopper. The grasshopper would just eat the ant because there's so much size difference. So the real story, though, the real story is that... The reason you can say no to the grasshopper, like if you're the ant, when the grasshopper comes and you just have enough food for you and your family for the winter, the reason you can say no, the reason you earn the right to say no to the grasshopper is you spent all summer telling the grasshopper, winter is coming. You got to prepare. You're not ready. You're going to get hungry. It's going to be bad. And I'm not going to help you out because I can't, I can't enable this ridiculous behavior. And I also only have the physical strength to get food for myself and my family. So you earn the right to withdraw your compassion by counseling sensible behavior. By counseling sensible behavior. So people who vote for a ridiculous bad candidate, doesn't you know, have to talk about anyone in particular, but people who vote for a ridiculous bad candidate because they, they get the little pat-pat on the head from other people, oh, you're a good person, oh, you're a bad person if you vote for this person, but you're a good person if you vote for this, but this person is really bad. <gasps> this person is an absolute angel. This person is just so monstrous and terrible, but this person is kind and compassionate. Okay, well, if you just led around by the nose and you won't think for yourself and you, you want to get, you know... A, Every absence of thought comes with a price. Every conformity comes with a price. That's just life. You can't change that. I can't change that. You can't change that. You know, if you enjoy smoking cigarettes in the moment and you keep enjoying that for 30 years and then you get lung cancer, that's just a fact. No one can change that causality. Now, if someone gets cancer, like just out of nowhere, like Andy Kaufman style, they don't think he smokes, right? He got cancer, he got lung cancer, right? Somebody gets cancer and you really love that person, then you may consider donating, if you can, a lung. May, may me, you might consider it, right? And, you know, could be, could be the right thing to do. Certainly if my daughter needed a kidney and I, was the, I would give her a kidney, I wouldn't even think twice, it'd be fine, right? I mean, your kidney, not mine, obviously. So I'm a capitalist. But no, I would, I would do whatever it would took to, to keep my daughter alive, right? Give her both kidneys if I had to. So... That makes sense, right? Now, if you have someone in your life who's been chain smoking and, and every weekend you say, oh man, come on, you gotta, you gotta quit, man. This is so bad for you. This is, you're gonna get sick. Uh, you know, one out of two smokers die of smoking. Like it's just, it's such a bad idea. And he's like, well, I see a lot of old smokers. And it's like, yeah, but what about all the old smokers you don't see? <laughs> you remember? It's like, oh, I see, occasionally I see a fat person in their 80s. And it's like, yeah, but not that often. <laughs> And maybe they just gained weight. So if you have regularly and reliably counseled people to sensible action and they don't listen to you, they have given you the great gift of indifference. If you have said to the grasshopper all summer, winter is coming, 
get ready, please. I'm begging. I'm on my knees begging you. And they've just laughed at you and called you a paranoid conspiracy theorist. You know, there's no such thing as snow. That's just, you know, uh, a CIA op. Uh, there's no such thing as sub-zero temperatures. That's just a, a myth. That's just something that comes out of uh, QAnon or something, right? Okay, so not only have they not taken your good advice, they've mocked and attacked and insulted you for good advice. Okay, actions have consequences. So if people don't take your good advice, they're giving you the great gift of liberation from responsibility for them. Liberation from responsibility for them. Like, there are people who are having trouble finding baby formula at the moment. Now, they're shipping a bunch of it to Ukraine, and right, and I think it has something to do with the FDA having shut down a plant for some months and so on. It's like, okay, well, choices have consequences. If you don't follow anything to do with politics, and if you just vote based upon black and white, good and evil media portrayals of people and so on, it's like, like I'm sorry it's happening to you, but I, I can't surrender my interests because you didn't take any good advice. Give good advice to the people you care about, for sure. I think that's important because you have to earn your way into indifference, right? If, if you never tell the grasshopper he's got to get some food for the winter, it's kind of tough to be indifferent because you didn't try to help. But if you try to help people and they literally turn and stab you in the back or spit in your face or laugh at you or make fun of you or mock you, or right? Doesn't mean you have to hate them, but it does release you from obligation towards them. It does release you from obligation towards them, and that's really, really important. And you have to pay that justly if you want to be just. Just is paying what you owe. So if you give people good advice and they take it, then... I think you still have an obligation to care and they have an obligation to care for you if you take their good advice and so on. But if someone doesn't take your good advice or does the opposite and furthermore attacks and scorns and mocks you and so on, again, doesn't mean you have to hate them, doesn't mean you have to pay them back, doesn't mean you have to try and ruin their reputation or anything. But the idea that you would give the same care and concern to people who listen to you with respect as opposed to the people who simply insult and degrade you for what you say, you can't pay these things the same. That's like saying that if somebody orders a pizza, pays for it, and comes in, you owe them a pizza. But if somebody comes in and steals a pizza, you also owe them another pizza. It's like, no, these are not the same situations. In one, you give them the pizza because they paid for it. In another, you call the cops because they stole the pizza. You don't give them a, a pizza. But you have to treat opposite situations with opposite Reactions. Otherwise, values, philosophy, honor, integrity has no meaning. Integrity is you paid for the pizza, here's your pizza. Integrity is not, oh, you stole a pizza, here's another pizza, <laughs> right? That's not having integrity. That's not having any honor at all. So give good advice to the people around you. Absolutely. Try to wake them up. Try to give them some sense. Try to break through the defensive shell of easy answers, which means wrong answers to hard questions. Get them to try to think. And if they don't, you have to treat them like adults. As I said before, when you're, you're 
kids are very little, you childproof the house. You don't let them learn about electricity by putting a fork in the socket. You put those plastic things in the socket so they can't hurt themselves. But when they get older, they have to start learning from consequences because that's life. So we have to switch from the female perspective of protecting the toddler to the adult male father perspective of learn by consequences. Right? So give, give, give people good advice. It's like everybody's had a friend. Everybody, maybe you've been this friend. Everybody's had a friend gets really attracted to the wrong person, like the wrong, just the, the bad person, right? And you're like, don't do it, man. Please, please, she's the wrong person. And here's why. Look look at her social media posts. Look at her history. Look at how many guys she's dated. Look at whatever, 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 right? This, this, it's not, this is not the right person. It's a bad thing that you're going to get involved in. Please, I'm begging you. Here's all the evidence. You know, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it, right? Okay, so then he does it. What do you do? Well, you have to let him learn through consequences. You have to let him learn through consequences. And if he calls you up and he says, oh man, my girlfriend's going really nuts. She's screaming. She's like, I saw this meme the other day. It's really caustic, really caustic, but kind of true in some situations. And the meme was, you know, this thing, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. When I'm throwing punches in the air, when I'm acting like I just don't care. <laughs> Are you strong enough to be my man? <laughs> so you get a real bunny boiler. She's like, oh, well, if you, if you, if you can handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And the, the meme was, you know, at her worst. And she set fire to the apartment. It's like, who's Amber? Who's Amber? Who are you texting? Who's Amber? The guy's like, she's my sister. <laughs> Stop setting fire to my house. Her at her worst. And then it says, at her best. Well, I tried to cook, but I burnt the spaghetti, so you get to take me out. <laughs> That's the best that she has to offer is burnt spaghetti and a, another bill for dinner. So then your friend says, oh, you know, she's really psycho, man. I, I really need to talk things out with you. And, you know, if you could come over and chat with us both and just, you know, try to set things straight. But I know. No, I'm sorry. You got you to gotta handle this yourself. I told you not to get involved. I told you repeatedly, I begged you not, I bowed my knees, begged you. It's like, no, man, but now I get it. It's like, well, no, this one you have to figure out yourself because you're a big boy now and if I'm not going to treat you like a toddler. Toddlers get excuses. Adults get responsibility. Toddlers should get excuses. Adults get responsibility, right? So love the people enough to give them good advice. Love them enough to let them learn through consequences. So let's see here. What have we got? Would you define stupid as low IQ or another way? I would not. I would not. The two are not synonymous. Uh, intelligence and wisdom. I would much rather have wisdom than a high IQ because there's a lot of high IQ people who are enormously corrupt and tortured and sadistic and masochistic and messed up and viciously. They take all of their significant language abilities and turn it into corrosive words that undo the personalities of other people, right? And so the, the postmodernists and uh, the um, uh, the people who uh, Yuri Besmanov, right? He talks about uh, how you just use language to break down people, to to create degeneracy and and all of that. Uh, and so, no, you can uh, definitely be very very intelligent and absolutely monstrous. Thoughts on Cozy.TV? I don't have any thoughts on Cozy.TV, <laughs> guys. You gotta let all this stuff go. 
my God, I, I, I had a guy on once many years ago, and then I followed him on Twitter, and then when I was sort of, oh, I don't really read this person's stuff anymore, I unfollowed like 20 people on Twitter, and I just, it's so unimportant. Yeah, good luck to Cozy TV. I really couldn't care less, honestly, and I wouldn't expect them to care less about what I'm doing. It really doesn't, really doesn't matter. All right, uh, let's see here. Sorry, I missed a bunch of questions. Um, let's see here. Is, is there different content for local subscribers versus freedomain.com donate subscribers? No, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Um, unless once or twice I forgot, in which case, please let me know. But no, I tend to post, post the most to the same. Ah, uh, let's see here. Tough question, but do you think women are less capable of abstract thinking? I do not, in general. Uh, I think that the abstractions that women tend to think about more tend to be in terms of relationships, whereas the abstractions that men tend to think about tend to be more in terms of logic, geometry, engineering, and so on. But uh, no, I don't think that women are less capable of abstract thinking. I mean, there's a strong overlap, but I think there's a little bit more towards relationships, which are abstract in many ways that women are much better at. What is the role of an uncle to a niece? Advice on how to be the best uncle when she gets older. She is a baby right now. Well, the best way to be an uncle is to give her playmates, right? To have your own kids and then all play together. Let's see here. When I was dating 20 years ago, one last said, I'm considered to be a trophy wife. Wow. Wow. Well, trophies don't do anything. They just sit on the, on the couch, right? On the counter. Let's see here. I tried your advice on giving kids the right to make rules, got them to agree on timeouts for hitting. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of timeouts because timeouts are just, you're forcing the kid to stand there because you're bigger and stronger or to sit there for being you're bigger and stronger. So I'm not a big fan of that. Oh, yeah. Like, so if people's voting is like, well, this, this person is a dangerous threat to democracy, it's like, you could say that about anyone and anything at any time and all that. So let's see here. Do you think? Oh, yeah, that's a rough question. Is there any way location-wise that gives you any hope of progress in the modern world? Well, check out Bitcoin City. That looks quite interesting. That's my brother. Smokes a lot and drinks about six beers a day. I give him feedback many times and he will deflect and laugh or smoke and complain about others' bad habits. I'm almost to the point of indifference now, though I still feel sad seeing him do it sometimes. Well, I mean, I don't know, obviously, what you should do, but if that were my brother, I'd say, uh, I, I feel really sad watching you destroy your life and your health with what you're doing. I, I, re I feel bad. I watch your liver dying in your body and I watch your lungs dying. I don't want to be around watching you kill yourself and I can't watch it. So sorry, but until you get, I mean, this is, this is standing up for the best in someone, right? And this is like the intervention idea. You can watch the show intervention where if somebody has a, a destructive addiction and that sounds six beers a day is straight up alcoholism and smoking is of course terrible for you. Plus the smoking and the drinking means no exercise usually. And you know, that's just terrible for people. So yeah, I, I, I can't watch you destroy yourself. I won't. I care about you too much to watch you basically slowly drill through your chest with Black & Decker uh, on, on high power 
And so it is um, with great regret that if you keep doing this, I really can't have anything to do with you until this gets sorted out. So. My brother is 34 and plays World of Warcraft all day. He doesn't care about himself. I can't possibly care about him. Yeah, see, this is the problem, right? It's not just moral, but practical. If you care about someone more than he cares about himself, then all he will do is use your caring about him to manipulate you to get stuff for free, stuff he hasn't earned. Right? This is the grave danger. Whatever you feed in someone else will generally take them over. And if you feed manipulation in other people, you make them manipulative or you extend their manipulation of the control manipulation have over their personality. You got to think of like, you know, the angel and the devil used to be on people's shoulders, right? The angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other. So if you care about people more than they care about themselves, all that will happen is they will simply put their manipulative hooks in you and drag you for every piece of resource they can possibly get from you, which makes them far worse, far worse. Uh, I find you can win the argument, i.e. the other person agrees with all your points, but still won't change their mind, as if doing that would be the end of the world. Pointless talking to them. Well, it would be the end of their social world, right? It would be the end of their social world, because if they accept your argument, and then they go to other people and repeat that argument, those other people will ostracize them, and we are programmed, biologically, genetically, evolutionarily speaking, we are programmed to survive, not to be right. So... A crypto roundtable. I miss those things. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll certainly look into it. I'll, I mean, I'm I'm working very very hard on reading as an audiobook my new book. And of course, I was working very hard on writing the new book. I was working working very hard on editing. You know, editing is about the same time as writing, sometimes longer. And I'm still doing a little bit of editing as I go through the audiobook. And yeah, my brother is older and a bully. Yeah, how he based his self-esteem on being the older brother. God, if there's a more pathetic way to base your virtue and your self-esteem on than happening to come out of Mount Mama uh, a year or two earlier than your sibling, that's a really sad, sad, pitiful and pathetic way to try and get your self-esteem. Like, ooh, wow, you happened to be born before me. Ooh, you must be so very proud about your very hard-earned achievement of jumping out moms for JJ slightly before I did. Wow, what an accomplishment. How you must have in the platonic universe before birth worked out like crazy and learned truth and virtue so you could get on the conveyor belt coming out of mom just a couple of steps ahead of me. Wow, what an impressive moral choice you had being born earlier ooh <laughs> it's just it's so absolutely completely and totally pathetic and parents of course should put the kibosh on that stupid accidental vanity right up front and any older sibling who considers themselves better because they were born earlier. Oh, look, I'm taller. Oh, look, I get to stay up later. Oh, look, I get more allowance than you. Oh, look, I get cooler friends than you. Oh, look, I'm better at sports than you because I'm older. Oh, look, I'm taller than you sooner than you are. Oh, look. And it's like, oh, my God. What an unbelievably, like, what, what a confession that you feel like an absolute piece of shit inside if you have to lord it over your younger sibling, and feel like a bigger, better person because they happen to be a year or two younger. Like, ah, oh my God. What a, and also what a corrosive thing 
Because, you know, when you feel like you've achieved something, your desire to achieve things tends to diminish, right? Obviously, right? I mean, if your goal is to get home, when you get home, you stop driving because you have... And so if you get this sense... <laughs> it's so pathetic, so pitiful. If you get this sense of superiority for something you haven't earned, what it does is it corrodes and degrades your desire to actually achieve something in the world. God, it's horrifying just how unbelievably pitiful elder sibling vanity is. Now, if you want to know more about this, got a free novel, a free novel called Almost, which goes very deep into sibling relationships for no reasons of personal experience at all, entirely fictional. But yes, I, uh, I strongly recommend it. It's a great book as a whole, almostnovel.com. You can get it as a nice podcast feed and it's, uh, I recorded it on the highest quality thing with great acting. And yeah, I think you should really check it out. It's an amazing, amazing book. All right, let's go here. Do you think there is ever a point where someone shouldn't have children? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's not really something I think about. I will say this, though. I will say this. So I remember some years ago, talking to a woman who was in her early 30s. And she was like, oh, you know, the world is in such a terrible state with like global warming and stuff. Like, I really don't think that I should have kids because, you know, kids consume a lot of resources and blah, 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 right? And I said, well, you care about the environment. Maybe the kid that you have because you teach that kid your care and concern for the environment is going to come up with some wonderful energy-saving fusion in a jar thing that's going to save the whole planet. Why on earth wouldn't you have kids? You care about these things. And, you know, you enjoy being alive. Why wouldn't your kid enjoy being alive? You know, I never suggest that you should, but, you know, but you could theoretically just kill yourself in order not to consume resources, but you enjoy being alive and you're willing to consume resources to be alive. Why would you withhold that from a kid? of yours, right? Anyway, so um, long story short, she ended up uh, aging out of having kids. She got the vax, then she got transverse myelitis and ended up in a wheelchair. I'm sure it's not causal. I'm just saying that was sequential. And you see a lot of this antinatalist stuff based on, well, whatever. Overpopulation was when I was younger. Now, overpopulation isn't such an issue because the birth rate, at least in Western countries, in many places is down. And, uh, well, boy, after 35 years of a recession, it looks like Japan is basically trying to eat itself with old people. And it's so, you know, it's so tempting. Like, I remember when my wife and I came home from the hospital with my daughter, just feeling like, well, nothing will be the same. Nothing will be the same. Nothing at all will be the same. I guess I live with someone else now. I mean, it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing to have a kid. It's massive. I mean, you've got this completely helpless, tender life that you now have to keep alive. And that's just the beginning. You've got to keep alive. You've got to keep safe. You've got to keep healthy. You've got to instill good values. You've got to raise well. You've got to give that person a personality that other people are going to like, right? You've got to help them navigate and negotiate social situations. You've got to model good behavior. You've got to transfer knowledge in age-appropriate ways that cast them excited about knowledge and so on, right? It's, it's, it's an unbelievably huge thing. And it's a great and enormous privilege. It's a massive responsibility, and it's a little terrifying at times. Straight up, right? It's a little terrifying at times. 
So if people and 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 also you have to find someone who's going to be a good co-parent, a great co-parent, someone who loves you, someone who is going to be wonderful with the child, somebody who's caring and empathetic and open and assertive and a great communicator and a passionate person who loves life and loves her family. Like you have to find a great person in order to be a great parent. And if you can't find a great person, you can't be a great parent. So that's a hell of a hill to climb for a lot of people. It was for me, straight up, right? It's a hell of a hill to climb for a lot of people. Now, when you're faced with an enormous challenge, find a great person, get pregnant, raise a sane child in an insane world. There's a big chance of superhero challenges right up. But then someone comes along and says, You know, global warming means that we get we we need fewer people. You know, don't be selfish. Just don't have kids. You don't need to. You can have a fulfilling life without them. Great loves. You get a pet, but just don't. So, of course, because everyone gets the enormity of having a child and and being a good parent, it's the biggest, most important, most valuable, most powerful job you're ever going to have. Absolutely, completely worth it beyond measure. Every time my daughter makes my laugh, makes me laugh, which is at least 40 times a day. And she is, we were just talking about this in the car today. She is the easiest person in the world to get along with, like easier than me. And I'm pretty easy to get along with, but she's even better than I am. Right? She's just not moody. She's very positive. She's very funny. She's very good natured and just a complete joy to be around. I, I don't want to get into a long speech about my daughter because it'll never end. And so I think everyone gets that it's a huge deal and you have to be a really good person and not fake good. You have to be real good, really good, right? And if someone comes along, you know, like in a devilish way and just whispers into your ear, oh, you don't have to pass that test. You don't have to fix that challenge. You don't have to do that. You don't have to find a great partner. You don't have to define your values. You don't have to take on that responsibility. You don't have to confront the world's craziness in the desperate hope of protecting your children from insanity. Like, you don't have to do any of that. And although it may make you feel like a selfish and bad person to not pass along the gift of life that you were given, that you love, that you treasure, that you enjoy, don't worry. I will give you the perfect excuse. It's going to be absolutely wonderful for you. You're not a selfish person for not passing along the great gift of life that 4, 4 billion years of evolution has handed to you. You're not a selfish person. You're not kind of lazy. You're not failing to take up the greatest challenge of the universe, which is creating life and moral life. You're not selfish, you're not a coward, you're not lazy, you're not deferring things, you're not procrastinating. No, you're protecting the planet. That's right. You're not a bad person. You're not a selfish person. You're not a lazy person. You are a good and virtuous person. Now, if you can tie the deferring of the massive responsibility of having children into making people feel like good people, oh, forget it. They're, you're, they're done. They're just, they're completely done. There's no chance. No chance. Uh, when are the next chapters coming out? I'm trying to do one a day, but it's a little tough on the voice. Got to tell you, it's a little tough on the voice. All right, we got another few minutes. Got another few minutes. 
siblings are so often horrible to each other. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even by normie standards, 50% of sibling relationships are classified as downright abusive. It, it drives me nuts. It absolutely drives me nuts. Siblings should be the closest and best people, I mean, outside of husband and wife. They should be the closest, the, the only people who go with you through the whole journey, start to end, right? You meet your wife when you're 25 or 30 or whatever. Well, then they only get to see the last two thirds of your life. Right? Siblings start to end, man. They get to do the whole journey with you. And so many people, it's, oh, it's so ridiculous, man. I've had the speech with siblings before, kids, siblings, like, oh my God. It's like, oh, I've got some friend who's so much more important to me than my tag along annoying little brother or sister. So I'm gonna hang out with this friend. And, oh, my, my little sister wants to come, Ugh, forget that. No, we're gonna go have fun. You stay home with your friends. I'm gonna go out with my friends. And what happens? There's some volatile bullshit. The two girls like some guy, they fight with each other. There's some rumor, there's some crap. And then that friendship gets completely gone, completely gone. But, but you've completely nuked your relationship with your lifelong companion called your sibling. It's unbelievable. It's deeply, unbelievably shocking to me how many siblings shit on their siblings just to pursue some boy, some friend, some nonsense, some little bit of social status, some party. Oh, I want to come with you to the party? No, you can't come with me. You're, you're, you're little. It's a big person's party. And then you're never going to stay friends with those people, but your sibling is like, okay, we're done. Deep down, right? Keep treating me like this, we're done. And you've just lost the most valuable thing you can have, which is a lifelong journey companion. A lifelong journey companion who knows you from start to end. Somebody you can still talk about your childhood with when you're 80. Someone you can still learn about what happened with your parents and your family. Someone you can go through the whole journey with. But no, you give up this whole journey possibility, this wisdom, this knowledge, this fount of information about you, your history, your life as a whole. You give it all up for some shitty nod from some shitty person who's just passing through. I had, I mean, I feel passionate about this. It's really, it's, I had a friend lifelong friend and he got married now he'd moved into some place had a roommate and the roommate had one of these fusion relationships just a complete fusion relationship like oh everything's perfect we understand each other like just no boundaries no barriers just complete fusion where everyone's like it's all perfect and you know that's just pin on the grenade just wait for it to blow up right now this person we call him bob right so bob had this weird fetishistic relationship with this roommate. And even though I've been friends with Bob pretty much my whole life, Bob sits me down and says, you know, my roommate's going to be best man at my wedding. You know, I thought about you, but everyone knows we're close. Everyone knows we're friends. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be you. That's kind of understood, but I'm going to go with Bob. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to go with Bob says, I'm going to go with my roommate as my best man for the wedding. Right. Okay your choice. I don't think it's a wise choice. Anyway, I shouldn't laugh, but so, you know, the, the, the wedding happened and literally, I'm not kidding, literally the next day after the wedding happened, Bob and his roommate had some huge fight, some huge blow up. And never talked to each other again. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. But then uh, a month or two later, Bob called me and he was having trouble with his marriage or his new marriage or something like that. Man, I really need your advice. And I'm like, no, just call your roommate, man. He was your best man at your wedding. Just call your roommate. He's your, he was the best man. 
you elevated him. He's the guy, man. He's the guy. He's gonna. You know, that's the guy. He's number one. Your number one best friend. Your number. Go call Bob. Oh, go call your roommate, Bob. And what did Bob say? Oh man, we had. You know that guy just went crazy. He's like, well, you know. Good luck. Now it wasn't that my friend made this terrible mistake. Is that he wasn't willing to say. You were right. I was wrong. It was a terrible mistake. We've been friends. You should have been best man. I really screwed you over for some guy who I didn't end up having. And like, there was no apology. It's like, okay, well then, I'm not, I'm not going up this again, right? I'm not going down this road again. I'm 33, childless and panicking a little bit. Well, that's not sensible. That's not sensible at all. That's not realistic. To be 33, childless and panicking a little bit, that's totally wrong. You should be panicking a whole lot. Panic is a great and wonderful thing. <laughs> Fear is a great and wonderful thing. You know, I'm going through the woods and I hear these footfalls behind me. I'm panicking a little. Good. <laughs> you need that fight or flight mechanism so you can get things done. Yeah, panicking is, is great. Don't fight the panic. Because there's lots of people who can say, oh, don't worry, it's going to happen. It's like, no, 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 panic. Panic is very important. I've gotten some of my best life decisions out of panic. You know, I, I got my first professional software gig because I panicked. Because I literally just ran out of money. You know how you, when you're a student forever, you can kind of juggle things, borrow a little bit from here, a little bit of money comes in there. You can work a little bit here, borrow a little bit from there, pay. And I was just like, just out of money. And I was paying 270 bucks a month in my rent because I lived in a room with five other people, in a, in a room in a house with five other people. And I was just like, oh man, I'm out of money. Like I, I, I literally, I can't pay my rent in two weeks. And I borrowed from everyone and I've juggled everything. And I just, and I was like, I panicked. Fantastic. Fantastic, because then I really hustled my ass and got myself a great job. And I remember, I still remember the woman's name. I won't say it, but I still remember the woman's name. Like, I don't know, 40 years, 35 years later, 30 years later, which was, um, I called her up and I said, you know what, I just, I need a job. I want to work with computers. I mean, you got me jobs temping. I want to work properly with computers. I know how to program computers. I don't care. Something to do with computers. I'll move computers. I'll clean computers. I'll dust computers. Please God, just get my foot in the door. Please, please get me a computer job. I'm absolutely desperate. And to her credit, in a wonderful life-changing moment, she got me an interview and I got my first computer programming job. Panic is great. Worship panic, love panic, embrace and absorb panic. Panic is your body telling you, your, your system telling you. Like panic is time travel, right? It's just going forward in time and saying, it's really shitty if we don't change. If, if we don't change, it's really shitty. So change, God, it's like time traveling, looking back at yourself and saying, move in a different direction. So yeah, panic, panic is, is, I love panic. Panic is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, I'm a man too. I waited until 38 to have a baby. I was panicking from 35 onwards. Glad you were panicking a bit earlier than me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because if you're 33, you got to meet a guy. You got to find out if he's the right guy. You got to date for a while. You got to get engaged. You got to get married. You got to start trying for kids. I mean, it's tough to do that in less than 18 months. So then you're in 35, 36. You're geriatric pregnancy territory. Like, Please panic, if, especially if you're a female. And if you're male, yeah, panic as well. Because right? here's the thing. If you're a male and you wait too long, you end up having to date someone significantly younger, and that has its own issues as well. So, All right. Ooh, just another five minutes. Five minutes. I may have to move too, as most women here are into hookups. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a leader and leading someone out of that. I don't know whether, you know, that you can't turn a hoe into a housewife, that old phrase, but uh, I'm not saying that they're hoes, but... 
No, I would say that um, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a leader and saying to a woman, if you like her, is this really what you want? Just be selling yourself until you pass your expiry date. Is this what you want? Just be some man's hop-along plaything until what? You realize you're going to age out of this hookup thing, right? You're going to get too old. Somebody says, it was Steph's call with Izzy, or Steph's show with Izzy three years ago that made me cry and decide I must become a father. I never heard father-child speak in such a way. I teared up. I was immediately angry with my parents. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll let her know that that's been, been helpful. But if you decided three years ago that you must become a father and you're not anywhere closer to becoming a father, that's why you need to panic. So you're, sorry, you're a male. Okay. Can a man and woman raise a child together without being in love initially? In other words, uh, they are compatible and love is learned over time. The Disney generation wants to know. Or you have to have compatible values because children, it's all about the passing along of values. And if parents are fighting about values, if they're conflicted about values, the child is going to get messed up. So you definitely have to share values. And if you share values and you live those values, you are in love by definition. Love is our involuntary response to virtue. If we're virtuous, live virtue, not theoretical virtue, right? You have to have the theoretical before you can live it. All right. Um, why do stupid children fail to panic and throw mo their most productive years away on silly games and gossip? Well, I, I don't think you mean children here. So the, the, you understand that the entire purpose of modern propaganda is to get you to waste your fertility on nothing and to end up with nothing because it's devilish. It's kind of satanic, right? So to just, oh, do it later. Oh, it's fine. Oh, you'll get around to it later. Oh, you know, have fun now. There'll be tons of time to settle down when you get older, right? And then by the time you get older, there's no one around. You're broken up from being in too many busted up relationships. You're unbondable. You're damaged goods. And then you can't settle down. And then the devil just moves on to the next generation. It just moves on to the next generation for sure. Uh, let's see here. Somebody says, doing well. Took wife out for birthday dinner. Coming home to the street. Oh, very nice. But what if you're not attracted to used up women? It's written all over them. Well, if you're not attracted to used up women, then you're going to have to find someone who's not used up. But of course, the longer you leave it, the more your contemporary women are going to be used up, right? All right, let's see here. We've just got a minute or two. You guys are making me feel young. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like vlogging to make you feel like ancient. All right. Okay, so yeah, listen, we'll, uh, we'll close it off. Tonight, I just wanted to, just a little bit of bookkeeping. This is not a donation pitch because I haven't done those in two years. But yeah, if you could help out the show, freedomain.com forward slash donate. The most productive place at the moment is freedomain.locals.com. Of course, if you subscribe on freedomain.com forward slash donate, you also get my new book. But the, the new book is... Uh, so good. It's so good. I liked, I was enormously impassioned with it while writing, and I'm even more enormously impassioned and in love with it now that I'm reading it as the audiobook. So please, please just get a hold of this book. And it's going to be quite a long time before it goes out to the mainstream. So you can get it at freedomain.locals.com. And if, if you'd like to know how I write and what my kind of writing is like for, for what are these books are, you can go to almostnovel.com. You can go to justpoornovel.com and get those books for free and uh, get a taste of my style, fdrurl.com forward slash T-G-O-A. We'll also get you to my modern comedy tragedy called The God of Atheists. Are we getting some of these newer books in PDF? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get the PDF, we'll get uh, Kindle, we'll get all of that stuff out. You'll be able to read it online. But for right now, it's audiobook at freedomain.locals.com. All right. Love you guys so much. If you can help out the show, I would massively, massively appreciate it. And uh, just trying to get the finances back in shape after two years of pandemic-y stuff. And uh, look, I know it's tough out there, so don't obviously do anything you can't afford. But if you could do a couple of bucks a month, man, would it ever help out. So thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening. Lots of love from here. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a movie review with my daughter tomorrow. So I hope that you will enjoy that. Lots of love. I'm out of time out of mind. <laughs> Take care. The music is reversible, but time is not. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. freedomain.com forward slash donate.